You are listening to a sermon from the First Baptist Church of Ewing, a Christ-centered church in Lewis County. So this will probably come as no surprise to you, uh, but there are a lot of things uh, that people say are important, even though they don't always actually do anything about those things. Uh, If I uh, took a survey, I would assume that most of us would generally agree that exercise, for example, is very healthy and good, Uh, but a news article that I was reading earlier this week showed that um, 80% of Americans don't exercise regularly. So you have the number of Americans that would say that exercise is important, uh, but then you have the actual numbers of Americans that, you know, do something about that. Um, Another news article that I was reading uh, earlier this week said that almost nine out of ten Americans Uh, owned a Bible, which means that the Bible still carries at least some level of importance among people. Uh, But that same article showed that over half of Americans had either never read the Bible, or if they had, had only read a few verses or just knew uh, a couple of stories from it. So again, you have the number of Americans that claim how important the Bible is, uh, but then you also have the number of Americans that prove how important it is to them by actually reading it. Uh, You can see the the disparity that's there. Uh, And another prime example of this, and that's kind of our discussion topic this evening, is prayer. Uh, Think about how often you say that you're going to pray for somebody. Like maybe you run into so-and-so over there at Johnny's when you're pumping gas, and they say that their aunt is in the hospital for whatever reason, and you say, oh yeah, I will definitely be praying for them. Think, Think about that. And then now think about how often it is you actually follow through and pray. Uh, so, so often there is a disparity between our words and our actions. Uh, but as we study the early church as seen in the book of Acts, that disparity disappears. Uh, they were a people that were absolutely devoted and dependent on prayer. And we are going to uh, read an example of one of their prayers tonight, and I want it to be a model for us today. I want them to show you how to fight against opposition that you face with bold, fervent prayer. I want the the early church to to be a model for you and how to pray. And I hope that this sermon tonight is very practical and helpful for you in your prayer life. 
And so we're, we're going to study this prayer in the book of Acts uh, by, by taking it into a couple of categories. First, we're going to look at how to pray boldly, and then we're going to look at why you should pray boldly. So first the how and then the why, uh, but let me go ahead and first read our text for us this evening. So this is Acts chapter 4, looking at verses 23 through 31. When they were released, that is Peter and John, uh, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and uh, and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So let's first tackle how to pray boldly. A moment ago, I was just talking about exercise when I gave you those statistics. Uh, I think prayer is a lot like exercise. Uh, it's easy to see the need for it, uh, but sometimes it's, it's hard to know where to uh, even begin. Uh, I can look down, and it's easy to see if, if I've gained a few pounds, but actually creating a sustainable rhythm of exercise to fight off that weight gain is much more difficult. Do I join a gym? Do I buy home equipment? Uh, do I only need to exercise or do I need to focus on a diet as well? Uh, it, it's easy enough to, to feel overwhelmed by exercise even before you begin that, that you just decide not to do it at all. Uh, and I, I think prayer can be similar. Uh, if you, you've gotten out of the, the habit of it, it, it's easy to see that that spiritual discipline has kind of gotten flabby. Uh, but, but thinking about everything and your life and in the community uh, and, and seeing the, that there is such a need for prayer, sometimes it can be daunting to even know where to begin. So let's just start by letting the early church be a guide for you and I, showing us how to get back into shape in our 
prayer lives. Uh, There's a couple of ways that you see prayer faithfully modeled for you in this text by the early church. First, you see a prayer that is just the instinctual response to any resistance. Uh, It's an instinctual response to, to any resistance that's encountered. It's just this automated, natural byproduct to persecution. Uh, the, The text begins saying that when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. As soon as John and Peter are freed, They go to their brothers and sisters in Christ in order to pray. Now, they have just been ordered by the established religious authorities to remain silent. And it has taken them all of 30 seconds to defy that order. Just by going back to pray with boldness, and to pray for boldness with the church, they're they're already running the risk of being arrested again because they're already defying these orders that have been given to them. Uh, But what you see is their prayer lives is is kind of like Pavlov's experiment with his dogs. Uh, I don't know if you remember hearing about that at school, uh, but you have this guy named Pavlov, and every time uh, he feeds the dogs, this, this bell will ring, and eventually the dogs came to associate the ringing of the bell with food, and so it came to be a point when even if there was no food in sight, even if the, the bell rang, the, the dogs would automatically start to salivate. And Peter and John kind of have this this same sort of association. Anytime you read about them uh, experiencing persecution, they automatically associate that persecution with a need to immediately go and pray. It's completely instinctual. And let me let me ask you this evening. Uh, is that how your prayer life looks? Have you hardwired that connection in your heart between the difficulties that you face and the need for divine intervention? Let, let me ask you this as a good test of your prayer life. Uh, what happened the last time you and your spouse got into an argument. Uh, How did you respond to that argument? Uh, Did did you go to your room and sulk? Did you remain frustrated because you you didn't get it your way? Uh, Or did you instinctively take that struggle to the Lord? Did you instinctively, automatically go to him and pray? Uh, What what about the last time uh, you were talking to your children or your grandchildren or a loved one and they didn't seem to want to listen to the advice that you gave them? 
what, what was your response to, to argue, to defend your reasoning, or did, did you go off and pray to the Lord and let him handle the situation? The desire for prayer should just be so ingrained inside of you that, that it's just an afterthought. Uh, It's not even something you have to think about anymore. It's just something that you do. So that's the the first way you see the early church model prayer for you. But another way you see prayer modeled is the content of what the church prayed. You see a prayer here in Acts chapter 4 that is the word of God being prayed back to God. They're taking the word of God and praying it back to God. Now, praying scripture uh, is not necessarily mandated by scripture, but it is helpful. Uh, It's, again, kind of like exercise. Uh, you, You can go to the gym on your own, but if you have never been there before, um, you can try to figure out everything on your own, but it can be very helpful to have a personal trainer there that can guide you and show you what to do. Uh, And it can make a difference. You see Peter and John and their friends, when they go to pray, they turn to Psalm chapter 2, and they pray the words of this Psalm of David. They pray, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. This is a very appropriate psalm for them to pray, uh, because this is a psalm that has actually just come to pass. The kings and the rulers had just gathered together when Jesus was put on trial. And the church prays, recognizing the, the rage of their opponents, Uh, But they also come together and pray, knowing that those who opposed Christ were really only permitted to do whatever the Lord's hand had already allowed. I I think that sometimes uh, you you don't pray because you you don't know the words to pray. Uh, A situation may seem so difficult or complex that you don't even exactly know uh, where to begin or, or how you should pray. Uh, you're, you're overcome with emotions in the moment, and it's hard to, to find the, the words to articulate your feelings. But when you don't know the words to say, just say the words of God. When, when you've run out of speech, just use his. These uh, and and there, there are, are psalms, like Psalm 2, uh, for every occasion and situation and season of life. From despair to bitterness to anger to celebration, uh, whatever the situation is, you, you can sit down and find a psalm or find other scripture and meditate on their words, and you can use that to, to be a guide to show you 
how to pray to the Lord. So those are some ways that the early church models for you a how to pray. So hopefully you're a little bit better equipped now in how you can and should pray boldly. Uh, but there's another important question that this passage answers, and that is why you should pray boldly. Uh, it doesn't matter if you know how to pray if you don't know why you should be praying. Why is prayer even important in the first place? Well, just as the early church modeled for you how to pray, let them model for you why you should pray as well. And the first reason that you see in the text is this. You should pray because prayer will align you to God's predestined plans. It will align you to God's predestined plans. Look, look at verses 27 and 28. In it, it says, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Now, predestination and prayer don't always seem like they should go hand in hand. Uh, predestination is the idea that in eternity past, God has already decided what he's going to do. So if he's already decided what he is going to do, then why should you pray about it? I think, though, that here is where people often have a false assumption regarding the purpose of prayer. Prayer is not trying to align God's will with yours. It's trying to align your will with God's. It's not trying to align his will with yours. It's trying to align your will with his. Uh, in, in this prayer, the church isn't asking the Lord to change any of his plans. Th this prayer instead helps them to better recognize what the Lord already has in place. Verse 29 is clear about this when uh, they ask, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. They, they don't ask for the challenges that they face to cease. Instead, they ask that they would continue to be bold enough to faithfully face off against those challenges. I think it can be a helpful exercise to periodically take a survey of the kinds of prayer requests that you are making to the Lord. What, what, what are you praying for? What, what do, does your prayer life actually entail? Um, 
sometimes I, I feel like our, our prayer requests uh, can feel just like a list of the people in our church, in our community, uh, with, with physical ailments. Like, that, that, that's all our prayer requests really are, is just a long list of people in the church, in the community, with physical ailments and nothing else. Uh, we, we ask the Lord to heal cancer, to heal heart conditions, to heal those with some kind of a tumor, uh, and all of those prayer requests— let, let me just be clear about that. All of those prayer requests that you can bring before the Lord um, are, are totally valid and are good things to pray. But, but if you only pray those things, uh, you have to seriously ask yourself, are you actually trying to align your plans with the Lord? Or are you just attempting to, to force his plans to align with yours? I mean, what, what if it's not the Lord's predestined plan for you to be healed from a particular disease, but rather that others would watch you faithfully depend upon the Lord while you struggle with that disease? Could it be his predestined plans would be for others to glimpse the glory of God and that others would respond to the gospel, not because God made your life easier by taking away a disease, but because, because God made you bolder and gave you the courage to handle that disease. Again, it, it's not wrong to make requests of the Lord uh, that he would bring about physical healing to you or uh, others around you. Th those are good requests. You should make them, but don't just pray for those things. I instead, pray as Jesus prayed, saying, not my will, but your will be done. Uh, and as his will is accomplished, ask for courage and boldness and for the Lord to spiritually sustain you and others through it all. Use prayer as an opportunity to submit your will to the Lord's sovereign will. So that's the, the first reason why you should pray. Uh, another reason is this, because prayer doesn't just give you things from God. Prayer gives you more of God himself. Prayer doesn't just give you things from God. It gives you more of God himself. Notice the, the structure and the flow of this prayer in Acts. Uh, while a lot of prayers often feel more like a grocery list, uh, where you're just kind of going through and, and scratching off and just marking off requests uh, as you make it, this prayer reads a lot more like a love letter than it does any kind of grocery list. Uh, it doesn't start off with a litany of petitions, asking for this and asking for that. Um, instead, it, it begins in awe of the sovereign God who is the creator over heaven and earth and sea and everything in it. There, there's actually only one request that the church makes in this prayer, 
Uh, And that's found all the way towards the end of the prayer in verses 29 and 30, when they say, grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal uh, and signs and wonders uh, are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They, they ask to continue to speak with boldness and courage. That, that's the only request that they make. Uh, and the fact that they ask to continue to do it means that the Lord has already given them the ability to speak with boldness before. And so their only real request is that the Lord would just continue to do what he has already been doing. They, they want him to continue to give them boldness while he stretches out his hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of his holy servant, Jesus. The church doesn't give God this grocery list of requests asking for more things from God. They, they simply want more of God himself. And in the last verse, verse 31, the Lord answers that prayer. I love this last verse. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. You you walk away from this story seeing that, that no, nothing had outwardly changed. Inwardly, everything has changed. Their, Their circumstances still remain the same, but their lives have been shaken And they have been filled with the Spirit of God. And because they have been given more of God himself, not not just more stuff from God, but because they have been given more of God, they can continue to speak his word with boldness and courage. When was the last time your prayer life shook you? Maybe not in a literal, physical sense. That might be a little weird. Uh, But when was the last time that you prayed and afterwards you felt like you walked away with more of God? Maybe you started by approaching him with a list of requests, but but somewhere in your conversation with him, you, you simply became satisfied with God himself and his love. And you walked away still having to face many of those same challenges that you did before, but, but now you no longer care that you have to face them because you can face them with the courage that you have received because you have been filled with more of God. Prayer may not always change your circumstances, but it can always change you. And it should always change you. There should be occasions where where you walk away with your world shaken because through prayer you have encountered and you have been given God himself. 
So this evening, we've looked at the early church to see how they can be a model for us and to show you how you can fight the opposition that you face with bold and fervent prayer. Uh, And you've seen how to pray boldly, and you've seen why you should pray boldly. So let me end this evening by taking a little advice of my own. Uh, Let me pray for us, and I want to pray that we would not be like the statistics that I began with, uh, that we would not be a people that merely talks about prayer, but that we would be a people that actually gets down on our knees to pray. I want to pray that the people of the First Baptist Church of Ewing would be known by our community and would be known by our county as a people that are devoted to bold, fervent prayer. Let me pray. 